Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're alive and you live in us. Mystery of mysteries, you live in us. Lord, I pray as we hear from your word that we would be touched afresh, our hearts would indeed be filled with that same fire that burnt in these first disciples as that great revelation that you are alive just absolutely set them on a new path, Lord God. They would never be the same again. And thanks to that wonderful day, we're here today. And so we just surrender this time to you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Allow your presence to be felt afresh, that that wonderful resurrection power that flowed that day. May it flow this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome. Lovely to see some familiar faces and some unfamiliar faces. Welcome to beautiful Black East. Beautiful part of the world, isn't it? We had a, a wonderful time this morning. The Lord really did put on quite the show, didn't he? You sort of think, wow, we, we come into buildings, we come into churches all the time, but wow, what a, what a beautiful part of the world to worship God. And it was quite a stunning display with the sun rising as we celebrate the sun rising. Well, this is the first, or sorry, this is the last sermon in our series following in Jesus' footsteps. We've been walking with Jesus over the last few weeks. We started wondering where Jesus went as a 12-year-old boy, didn't we? Where did he go? And we should have known he'd be in his father's house. And we've been taking a journey with Jesus. It's always unexpected when you follow Jesus, isn't it? Because he, he turns up when you least expect him, like he did today in this story. Two forlorn disciples, two disciples heading back on the road to Emmaus. Just their hearts broken. They're hardly able to understand what they've just experienced. Trying to understand, trying to make sense of broken dreams. They thought things were going to be so different. Now they've got to go back to Emmaus and face a bleak future when they really expected things were going to be mighty because Jesus was their coming king that they'd been waiting for. And mighty things were going to happen. Now he was dead. So back to the hard toil of life, as if he never came into their lives. Well, Jesus would have none of this. And I think he'll say that to us this morning. He'll have none of this, this hard toil that is life. He wants us to be absolutely overjoyed that he's living in our hearts. So it was time for them to share in the mighty victory that he just won over death, just one on the cross. As they walk, Jesus decides he'll show up beside these two forlorn disciples and his words to them ignite fire and ignite passion in them. That resurrection power that's just flowing through Jesus overflows to them. It's just filling this world. They rush. I love this part. They, they drag their heels as they go to Emmaus. They just rush back. They can't wait to tell the other disciples what's happened. Those 11 kilometres seem like nothing as they just wanted to go and tell the disciples, it's true. He has risen. He's appeared to us. I think like those two disciples on the way to Emmaus, we can get so disappointed on our walks. 
get so disappointed with what God has done in our lives. There may be people here today that accepted years ago that circumstances in life will never change, even if those circumstances are lousy. It's challenging to think we can sometimes live our Christian lives as if Jesus stayed in the tomb rather than living in us. It's so important for us to remember the presence of God always in our midst. He's always with us. And with his presence is this resurrection power, this ability that he has to just speak to death, speak to sickness, speak to it and just see it gone because of who he is. It's a breakthrough moment in the early church. They always went back to this day. And you know, there's Paul, we think of Paul and he said regularly, don't you know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us and can live through us and overflow through us? It was something that we were reminded of, they were reminded of constantly in the early days. This incredible event that is the resurrection. I personally want to look forward, don't you? You want to look forward to the days to come when God's going to do amazing things again. I don't want to think that all the best is, is behind us. Like these poor disciples, you know, all the best has come and now we've got nothing to look forward to. Don't you, like me, want to be in awe of our God afresh? As we look at the Resurrection Sunday, I think that's the heart behind this, that we should always realise Christ is risen and is in our midst. I'd also like to think and I'd like to hope and pray that there's a special grace for God's people. You know, we've chosen to come today to celebrate. We've chosen to believe. And I pray that God will bless us. Amen. He'll bless us for, for, for trusting and believing that he is real. Okay, many other people in our society will be just loving having the morning off, loving having an extended break from work. But for us, this is almost like the most exciting time of life. We, we understand, we've heard the news and we believe. And so I just pray that God blesses each and every one of you as, as you make that decision today to trust and believe in him, no matter what's going in your life, to believe he's a risen Lord. I'd also like to really pray that there's a timely reminder for people this morning. Pray that God knows exactly what you're going through and this will reach that spot perfectly and encourage you. You know, the, the story of Jesus appearing live, alive to people on a road when he's been dead for three days, it sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? It is a hard thing to, to trust to think that stories like this happen. You know, we occasionally hear, read or come across stories like this. People today that claim to have seen Jesus. Some are something like a near-death experience. Some are visions or dreams. They'll say, Jesus came to me in a vision or a dream. I shared one a couple of weeks ago about a, a young man that, that had died and really felt he went into the Lord's presence. Some might be fabricated, some might be imagined, but I truly believe that the, the essence of the truth of a story like this is that their lives are transformed. Their lives are absolutely, they were going in one direction and they turn around. They are absolutely falling on their knees in awe of God because of this experience. And I think this happens so much 
in the Muslim world. We hear stories in the Muslim world of, and I, I believe it's you know so apt with all the oppression of Christians that that Jesus is appearing to many Muslim people and showing himself and, and speaking to them and and their response. I love the fact that because of these sightings, these men and women just turn their lives around. They completely surrender their lives and their faith is as real and strong and unquenchable as the faith of these disciples today. I love that. Don't, don't, wouldn't you love to have that? Just be so sure that Jesus is alive and real and with you that you just are unstoppable. And these lovely people, our brothers and sisters in the Muslim world, they're just faithful unto death. That even when the persecution comes and even when they're pressed on every side to, to, to renounce their faith, no way, no way I would do that. Jesus is alive and with me. Why settle for anything less than the passion and the love and the fire that burns in them? So maybe there's something to this resurrection. Maybe there's something to it. Well, let's look at today's story. Let's have a quick look because it must have felt like an eternity to walk 11 kilometres with your heart so heavy. It says in this story they're just going over events, the events of the past week, the great high. It's just been a week, the great high of Palm Sunday. Thank you, Lil. That was just inspiring last Sunday. It really was. It was like my mind was opened afresh to the, the awe that must have been going through people. Wow, the Messiah is finally here. The tables are all turned. You know, we're going to be a mighty nation again. And a week later, the rock bottom of thinking, well, he's dead. What on earth is going to happen next? As they talk, they, they come across a stranger. Somehow a stranger turns up next to them. They don't recognise him, but it's Jesus. It can happen to us too. I think someone else said it this morning. I think it was just you then, Ralph that we, we sometimes forget that Jesus is part of our conversations. As we go over and over and over life, what's happened to us with other people, and we can forget that Jesus is part of our conversation. Now, problems too often have a way of blocking God out, don't they? In, instead of driving us to God, they can actually stop us seeing him. But Jesus will have none of that. He initiates God always initiates, doesn't he? He doesn't, want to leave, he doesn't want us to think he's left us or forsaken us. Sometimes he just initiates, like I hope he is this morning. Initiating. Tell me, talk to me, what's wrong? At his prompting, the stranger just allows them to, to speak their hearts, to pour out their hearts to him. As if Jesus didn't know. As if Jesus didn't know what they were talking about. As if Jesus didn't know what was breaking their hearts. Sometimes God does, he wants to initiate the same with us. What's wrong? Tell me, talk to me. I was reminded of a beautiful old hymn during the week. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We too often carry everything to others. We'll burden others, we'll, we'll, we'll share with others what's wrong. But forget to go the extra mile or the extra step and offer them to God. When they unknowingly did that today, it allowed him to provide exactly 
what they needed to turn their hopeless, helpless, despondent situation into joy and peace and completely make sense of it. So first I want to encourage you, don't withhold from God what he already knows about. Allow him, take it to him. You know, this week in the chapel, you may have noticed in the bulletin that we've started praying daily and, and it was Mary and Melissa were here on Monday or Tuesday and I thought, okay, I wonder what we're going to pray about. Well, the prayer flowed. As soon as we started, we just thought of you all. We thought of situations that we know about and we just absolutely prayed ceaselessly for that. It seemed like a time stopped, didn't it? It, just, it was so quick and, and it was so lovely to cast all the anxieties of the church upon the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares, all your burdens, all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. So I want to encourage you, as, as we look at Emmaus, the story of Emmaus, first and foremost, don't be afraid to tell God. Don't, don't withhold telling God what you're going through, even if, even if it's hard and harsh what you've got to say to God. He can take it and he wants to take it and he wants to replace it with his presence. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Well, as we look at the response to Jesus in verses 18 to 24, you know, they tell him, okay, well, this is what's happened. As if he didn't know. Well, they're just telling him what he told them would happen anyway. He told them time and time again, I'm going to do some great things, but I'm going to make people so angry with me that they're going to kill me. This is going to happen. It's exactly what he said would happen. But he promised. He said, after three days, I will rise from the dead. Whenever he said, I'm going to die, it was always, and I'm going to rise. Why are they downcast? Well, ultimately, and I hate to say it, ultimately, it's because they didn't trust God at his word. Ultimately, they didn't trust what God was saying, what Jesus was saying. There's no surprises there, is there? There's so many in our society that can recite in their minds or can recite the Bible, but never believe in their hearts what, what, what God is saying is true, not possessing the faith to trust God at his word. And so they never see the evidence of resurrection power in their lives because they're not trusting what God says. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal, everlasting life, will have blessings abundant in this life and beyond. They never get to see it because they don't trust God at his word. I think many Christians too, we can get despondent as we realise the Christian life isn't a bed of roses, that it's not straightforward, that sometimes it is hard trusting God at his word. It's easy when times are good. It's easy when the church is full and the praise is on, like it was this morning. It's easy to get excited. When the bottom falls out of your world, it's a different story altogether to trust that what God says is true is true at those times. People of faith can start to doubt. We can start to doubt when trouble comes. Jesus said many times that he would die and rise again. But like them, sometimes we can't see God. We can believe the stories, but we just can't see him. Like Thomas, we just love to, wouldn't we? If I could just see him, I'll believe. If I could just see evidence of God, I could believe it's true. I just want to say, notice carefully 
very carefully what Jesus does today. Now, interestingly, rather than get alongside them and go, oh, they're there. Oh, I know it's been hard, hasn't it? It's been tough. It's not like that at all. He absolutely rebukes them. How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all that was written or the, all that you've heard. How foolish of you. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? He has just gone through hell and back. He has just gone through the, the crucifixion, torture. You know, I don't rebuke well unless you're one of my kids. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, yeah it's the, 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 the loving shepherd and the dad. You know? <laughs> but, but anyway, I prefer being the good shepherd. I prefer to show compassion and love and mercy. I'm not good at the, at the tough word, but I'm grateful that some of my most formative, some of my most you know, breakthrough times have when, has been when brothers and sisters, as a pastor and just as a Christian, brothers and sisters have spoken the truth to me. Most of the time in love. Most of the time. <laughs> you know. But, you know, just like the two disciples, sometimes I need a wake-up call. Sometimes I just need to be thrown out of my funk. You know what I mean? Just reality check. Do you need a wake-up call this morning? You know, the resurrection of Jesus has happened. Wake up. How foolish you are and slow to believe all that God promises for you. Like I say, I don't do rebuke well, but, but um, I do love that the Lord loves to rebuke those he loves. Well, let's look at verse 26. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And as we reflect on the story of Jesus and these first disciples at Easter... I pray we can be encouraged forward in our lives. As I say, the best is yet to come for us too. May, may we, in a sense, enter our glory. Let me explain in, in Hebrews 12, verses 2 to 3, the writer of the Hebrews, he's trying to encourage them forward. They're very, very close to falling away in their faith. And he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer of your faith. You're a Christian, Jesus was in a sense the Christ. And so look back to him. It says, For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. This is a real rebuke here, that consider Jesus. It's like compare what you're going through with what Jesus went through. Again, it's a harsh word, isn't it? We can get so, we can, our problems can be out of perspective. They're not the right perspective. What we're going through, you know, it's as if Jesus is saying to these disciples, you reckon you've had a tough three days. You know what I mean? He had to suffer a humiliating, excruciatingly painful crucifixion before he entered his glory. What suffering? But what glory? What glory? Philippians 2, 9-12, because Jesus was so faithful to do his Father's will and, and die once for all, we read this, the glory of God. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What glory! What a crucifixion, but what glory he has attained. 
And the writer of Hebrews and Jesus wants us to remember his example so that we too will allow his presence to lead us to victory in our lives. He wants us in a sense to enter our glory as he leads and guides by the same spirit who raised him from the dead. He wants us to experience that same glory in our midst. You know, I've heard many times since I've been here those beautiful words from Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. They're beautiful words, aren't they? They're powerful words, powerful promises that, wow, God in our midst can do amazing things. But you know, Paul, when he writes this a few verses back, he wants to put it into context. We want to put it into context. He says in verse 13, I ask you not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Listen to this, that Paul is in prison. The Ephesians can't work out how on earth this powerful God would allow Paul to be in the prison. But Paul says, don't get discouraged. God's God. He'll turn this around. But this is actually, I think when I read that, and I think the way that this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians in the jail, God's used that to inspire and encourage countless millions and billions of people ever since. That's God working, isn't it? We can't see God behind the scenes. We've just got to trust that God's there, that no matter what we're going through, we can just look to Jesus' example and say, well, Jesus shows us. You know, there's the God's in control even when it seems like you're in a tomb. We can trust God will open the tomb and bring amazing things out of it. You know, the incomparable resurrection power working even when we have the most dire situation to offer to God, okay? Amen, you received that this morning? That no matter what you're going through, this is a God of resurrection, a God that can actually do so much more than you can imagine. He may just need you to show a little mustard seed of faith. Maybe all you feel like you've got to give him, just a little bit of faith this morning. But if he went through the cross, you can do it. You can do it again this morning. It's one thing to know the story of Easter. It's one thing altogether. Another thing altogether to believe it and own it and trust that that example Jesus shows is there for you as an example of what is possible in our lives. When we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, he's alive and with us always, it should permeate every part of our life. Every part. Nothing remains unseen. You know, events and trials aren't supposed to kill faith. They're actually supposed to do exactly the opposite and build it and just allow us to be even more strong in our faith. Greater is he living in us than he who's in the world. He will overcome. Just like Jesus had to suffer and was glorified, so too did Abraham, Joseph, David. They all went through incredible suffering. But God was with them and the same God's with us. Daniel, Paul, Ruth, Esther, Jesus. He died and rose again so that as we've died, we might rise above the sinfulness that fills this world and tries to take over our lives. Even though we have trials, let's endure them cheerfully, enduring them cheerfully, knowing in our hearts Jesus has overcome sin, death, the world, and that he'll bring meaning to whatever trial he allows us to go through. Now, as many Australians look at Christians today, I think they're so, they just get so annoyed by what they perceive as our moral choices, what we don't do. 
You know, oh, the Christians, they, you know, they've got all these rules, what they don't do. I pray that they actually, we come to be known by what we do do, or what we can do, the faith that we can show, the, the Bible that we have, the fact that we can come to our God and be in his presence and, and be filled with hope and joy. And that can overflow even when situations are dire. I think at this stage, I don't know about you, but I just get a little bit, my blood boils almost weekly as I look and see what people say about Christians, see what they're allowed to say about Christians who are trying just so hard to be faithful and loving and, and, and be authentic in our faith. We just get mocked and you know, it's gone from indifference to now you can just say whatever you want about Christians. That seems to be the climate in which we're, we're having to face, you know, face the world, trying to be loving and yet just having to take so much of this flack. I just pray as, as we spend time faithfully trusting God in this new season of life, as, as we trust that God's still God, even though they mock us and even though they may, may just, you know, call us whatever they want and treat us however they want. May we not be overcome with fear. May love be the thing that motivates us. It's not easy. It's not easy to love your enemies. Tell that to Jesus, you know. Tell that to the one who could pray, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The way the evil one was somehow allowed to pull a veil over the eyes of his people, the Jewish people at the crucifixion. Somehow he, he just allows otherwise nice people to treat us so badly. Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. I just pray that we can respond in the days to come with the faith, trusting God is with us and will be glorified in the end as he always is glorified. Well, I just want to say, next, they arrive at the village of Emmaus. They finally arrive. I reckon time must have flown. So much so that instead of being exhausted, they invite the guests in. Come in, come in. You know, those 11 kilometres, they must have been so glad to get home. But now they're actually, no, we don't want this guy to go. Come, they say, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And I love this, wherever and whenever Jesus is invited in, he will come in. Hasn't this got echoes of Revelation 3.20? Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and them with me. Let's learn, what, let's hear again what happened in this story today. The two open their home to him and he opens their eyes. Jesus takes the bread that they offer him their, their meagre meal. You know, what have we got to serve our guests? Here's some bread. He takes the bread that they give him and breaks it. And their eyes are open. All of a sudden, this isn't just any guest. This is the risen Lord. Their frugal, quickly prepared meal, quickly, you know, what have we got to give him? Becomes the first communion with God. God and humanity meeting face to face. He disappears just as quickly leaving them with hearts ablaze. They will never be the same again. And I pray whatever frugal meal, whatever frugal offering you have this morning for the Lord, that can be a reason for him to just come and enter into your life and set your heart aflame again or for the first time. You may be discouraged, downcast by life, feeling weak. 
Like a perfect gentleman, God stands here waiting for you to invite him in. I love that Jesus didn't want those disciples to go back to Emmaus and just get on with life as if they'd never met him. Once we meet Jesus, we're not supposed to just get on with life as if we've never met him. You know, I think about that beautiful baptism song, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. These disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were the first to meet the risen Lord and experience the resurrection power. I love they ran back to Jerusalem. They longed to share the news with others. It's true, he's risen. As they did that, I love, I love this part of the story, as they do that, they share with the other disciples. It's true. What happens next? Jesus turns up. Oh, imagine what it must have been like. Imagine what they must have felt as they saw him again, as he looked into their eyes and saw them go from despondent, forlorn, forsaken people to actually just wanting to tell everyone that it's true. I pray that this morning for us, that we won't just let this story pass us by, but that somehow we'll just want Jesus to see that fire in our eyes. It's true, he's risen. It's true. I pray this morning that this word of encouragement is exactly what you needed, the timeliness of Easter Sunday. May the Lord give you the strength you need to go forward with passion in your Christian walk. Jesus is risen. And his resurrection power can lift us up, set our hearts on fire again, burn away discouragement, unbelief, fear, whatever else is replacing that passion. Choose to talk to God when he initiates it. Choose to listen to what he says. Live the resurrection life. Invite him in and allow it to overflow to others, to this world who desperately needs to see that it is true He is risen. He did die for you. Lovely people of Blackheath, lovely people of the Blue Mounds, he did die for you. But he is risen and wants you to live the the life, the abundant life that he offers to all. Will you let the resurrection story impact your life afresh this morning or even invite him in afresh this morning? Does anyone need to do that this morning? Say, I need, you've been knocking, Lord. I recognise it now. I recognise that you've been knocking on the door in the, in the weeks that have passed. I hear your, your invitation this morning. I do invite you to come in. If that's true, we'd love to have an opportunity to pray for you and talk with you. Please don't go if you feel that, you know, that the Lord is really asking you to come and meet with him this morning. Let's allow our hearts to be set on fire again. It was beautiful on whatever day it was, Wednesday I was wondering what to do after the end of the sermon and um, I thought I had a song and then last night came home and they were singing, uh, Melissa and our friends from Newtown were singing that song in Jesus' name and I just thought this fits perfectly. So I'm going to um, ask the band to come up now we're going to sing this song together. I am alive. The resurrection power of Christ lives in me. Just that that joy that I've spoken about, you will actually own it for yourself this morning because it is something to celebrate, the fact that the Lord is risen. I'm just going to pray for us as the band come up. Lord, we want to thank you for all that the resurrection, that your resurrection means for us. 
Lord, it's not wishful thinking that we, we, we're um, talking about here this morning. We're talking about owning afresh what you've already done. What only you could do, Lord, because you are God. You are our creator. I pray this morning if there's anybody who is just, um, this word is just so timely for them, they just realise this is what's happened in my life. I've, I've not come to God. I've, I've pushed him out and I need to invite him back in or invite him in for the first time. But this morning is an opportunity to turn life around, that the, that the best isn't behind us, but as we just surrender to you, we just say the best is yet to come. I pray that for anyone this morning who needs that encouragement, that with you, Lord Jesus, with, with the, your presence in our lives and, and, and the, the grace, the power, the goodness that overflows from you into our lives, we can do all things for you who strengthen us. Thank you, Lord. We worship you, Lord Jesus.